Testament, Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, God had delivered Israel, his people, from the nation of Egypt, and he called them, really started them on a path toward a promised land. Um, but when he did, he, he said, here's what I wanted to do. I want to dwell among my people. He always has wanted to commune with his people, dwell among his people. That's why you see him at, walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. He's always desired to have a relationship where he communes with us, where he leads us, where he is in, 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 in speaking with us and hearing from us. And so in the Old Testament, uh, he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to set up a tabernacle. There's going to be an altar of sacrifice and a brazen labor. And then you're going to have this tent where, made of uh, of badger skins where you're going to come in and there's a holy place and then behind the veil there's this holiest of holies and and I want you to follow me he says I want the priest to do this but behind the veil is the only once a year the high priest will come but they have to work through this process of killing an animal, animal sacrifice. There was bloodshed, and then they would wash themselves at the brazen labor next, and they'd go into this holy place with the table of showbread, altar of incense, and they would, and they would have this, this amazing time, and then they would go into the holiest of holies, and they would take the blood that they had from the animal sacrifice, and they would pour it on the mercy seat of what was called the Ark of the Covenant. And on that Ark of the Covenant, God would either accept or reject that sacrifice. And that sacrifice, there was, there was blood that was shed that was pointing to something years and years and years down the road when John the Baptist says to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But in the Old Testament, it never actually took care of the sin. It just was a substitutionary lamb. It would, it would, it would just push those sins off for another year until they could then repeat the process. And so Hebrews 9, it tells us all about this process. In verse 1, it says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service, and a worldly sanctuary, referring to that Old Testament tabernacle. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. I just referred to it as the holy place. And after that second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, which had a golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid about it with gold wherein the gold pot had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant so there were a couple of things in that ark of the covenant in verse 5 it says over it the cherubims cherubims are angels cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat and if we could just show that picture so you can see it. it. It shadowed the mercy seat. So this is kind of a replica. There's a lot of different replicas out there. Um, this, this is a replica. And you would see with those posts is how the, the priests would be able to carry, the Levites would be able to carry this. And, and in, in that underneath there, in that, under those wings, there was that mercy seat where they would pour the blood. And the angels overlooked it. They overshadowed it. And it says, of which we cannot speak particularly, verse 6, now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, the first part accomplishing the service of God, but into the second, into the holiest of holies, the, 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 where the Ark of the Covenant was, it says, once a year, not without blood, which he offered not only for himself, but for all the people. Again, I make this joke all the time. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm enough of a knucklehead myself to come before God and go, oh, Lord, I messed up. God, forgive me. I don't want to come for my sins and all of your sins, okay? I mean, like, imagine that. Like, he comes not only for himself, but for all the sins of the people. Like, Lord, I'm here because I'm a sinner. 
but so is Abigail and Emily and Luke. And so is Jim and Teresa and Craig and Becky. And so I'm just here for all of us. But it says, verse 8, the Holy Ghost this signifying. That the way into the holiest of all, the way, the, there was a way into the holiest of all, but that way had not yet been made manifest. While as the first tabernacle was standing. So while that tabernacle in the Old Testament was standing, there was not a way that was made manifest or made into humanity. What could that be referring to? Well, first things I, I, wanna, I want you to see a couple things in this passage. First, I want you to see verse 8 clearly states that there was a correlation between what the, the high priest was doing in the presence of God and the fact that the New Testament writers saw this as pointing to the Holy Spirit. This is not me trying to stretch this. He says, hey, let me tell you the story about this tabernacle. And there's this holy, holiest of all where the high priest goes in, pours in the blood sacrifice. And he says, and he's in the spirit, the, the presence of God Almighty. Literally God who was everywhere present, limited himself for that moment between the wings of the cherubim and said, right here, I'm going to meet with you but still be everywhere present at the same time. And he says, I'm going to meet with you right here. And that New Testament writer says, and this is correlating to, pointing to, signifying the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture. Second, it says in verse 5 that the cherubims or the angels overshadowed the mercy seat. In other words, there was meant to be an angelic presence where human beings would come into the presence of God with both worship and obedience. That when a human being enters into his presence saying, I am coming with being willing to obey your plan and offer you worship, not only is the spirit of God present, but there's an angelic presence. Today, I want to talk on this topic, overshadowed, overshadowed. The construction of the ark is commanded by God to Moses while the Jews were still camped at, at Sinai before they entered their promised land after they leave the nation of Egypt. And the ark was a box with dimensions of two and a half cubits, cubits in length by one and a half cubits in length. They say a cubit, just go like this, hold your arm up like this. You're reading a cubit. Anybody read King James? You go, what in the world's a cubit? Well, now you know. A cubit on average is about your elbow to the tip of your finger. That's about a cubit. So a lot of times people think the Ark of the Covenant was this massive thing. And these high priests, those poor guys trying to carry that, four dudes trying to carry that for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Well, according to these these dimensions, the Ark of the Covenant was about 45 inches by 27 inches by 27 inches. I'm not the strongest guy in the world, but I'm pretty confident I could carry that. Exodus 25, verse 20, it says, The cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be, and, there shall, and thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there, in that place, right there, God says, I 
will commune with you. Because that was always his goal. He wanted to commune with his people. He wanted to lead us by his spirit. That's why he says, I'm going to commune with you there. There's going to be a pillar of fire at night, a cloud in the daytime. You, fee- you find God leading his people through clouds and various things. Why? Because it wasn't about he wanted to be a magician and just put up a fire or put up a cloud. It's because he had, has always, since the beginning of time, has desired to lead his people by his Spirit. In the Old Testament, he says, I'm going to lead you with this pillar of fire and this cloud. In the New Testament, he says, I'm just going to give you my spirit. And he says, I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to commune with thee from above that mercy seat. Notice that when the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant was built, the faces of the cherubims were not even turned toward the worshiper. You saw the, 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 uh, drawing or the artistic rendering of it, they were not looking out. When we come to worship, the angels will join us in worship, but they don't really care about you. The angels join us in worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They were not even facing each other. Now, granted, the way it was designed, they were faced toward each other. Scripture says that. But Scripture says, toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. Meaning, although their bodies were toward each other in this rendering, in, according to God's plan, their faces were looking down at where the blood was being poured. You want long-term success in loving, serving, worshiping God? Don't look at one another. Keep your eyes on the blood. Keep your eyes looking unto Calvary, unto what he has done for you. And so God meets the high priest between these wings. And so God's spirit would literally rest there. The Ark of the Covenant represented the spirit of the Lord, God's presence. And God's goal, again, through history, was to lead us by his spirit. The New Testament book of Hebrews talks about the overshadowing of God's spirit. And this was not just for his spirit to be among them, but to lead them. In the Old Testament, he he didn't just say, I want to hang out here, and I'm content to just be here and pitch your tent and face where I am. He did say that. But then there were times where he says, it's time to move. It's time to go. And you would watch it, and you would watch the, the pillar or the, or the cloud moving. So now God's people would say, hey, we can either go ahead and stay here, and we came to this place, but God has something more for us. And so I want to follow his spirit to where he's calling me to be. And here we are, and I want you to know God still wants you to follow his spirit on where he's calling you to be. The difference is it's not a visible manifestation, although we would love that at times, would we not? I mean, you're like, all right, I'm going to apply for a job. Should I keep my old one or go to the new one? Just send me the fire, and it just moves. Just goes like here. Should we build here? Buy this. Which car should I buy? I've done the Carfax. I've looked at it. And the pillar of fire just moves across the car of which one to buy. I mean, that would be pretty amazing. But the mercy seat's one of the most special and incredible places in the Bible. It was such a special moment. God, angels, humanity would come together as one in this brief moment in time. And, and, and I believe that when we come and the blood is shed, we bring worship and obedience to the King of Kings. I do believe we catch the attention of the angels who will join us in worship.
And all this took place pointing to one key thing because Hebrews 9, 7, and 8 tells us the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Not yet made manifest. But for that time, Hebrews says, angels overshadowed the mercy seat. And this is where God would meet with the high priest. So the writer of Hebrews is talking about the role of the Old Testament tabernacle in the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. And he clearly connects it to God's plan to overshadow humanity because those angels overshadowed the mercy seat. But in the New Testament, it says, well, it's just not yet made manifest. But as we move into that New Testament, the moment finally arrives. The moment that we and all of humanity and God's people had been waiting for, it was time for the holiest of all to be made manifest. And what transpires? Well, the very first chapter of Luke, some might say, yeah, that's where the birth of the Savior takes place. But wait, before the birth of the Savior takes place, the Lord sends an angel to a priest named Zacharias. And he says, you, because he got called to do the priestly duty, which was a huge honor. He didn't do it all the time. There were several priests, and he was, his name was drawn, so to speak, which was an honor, but it wasn't an accident. Because God had a message for Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. He says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. And John, Jesus' cousin, knows he becomes known as John the Baptist. And in Luke 1.17, the angel says, your, your boy's going to prepare the way for the Lord. No coincidence here. John's life as the forerunner of Christ was also prophesied about in the Old Testament. And it just so happens that the angel also is showing up to Elizabeth's cousin, who was a virgin named Mary. Luke 1.26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph and of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among, among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the man and the angel, I'm sorry, said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, you're gonna you're gonna conceive in thy womb and bring forth the son. You're gonna call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall these things be? I've never been with a man. I don't, I've never known a man. The angel said unto her, there's this word again, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, because of that, the holy thing which is born of you shall be called the Son of God. The New Testament story of redemption, once again, begins with something we've seen before. A priest coming to an altar to worship in the Old Testament tabernacle 
in the New Testament when Zechariah comes to an altar to worship. God tells shepherds about the birth, in, and they go and worship Jesus. You ever wonder if these shepherds were the ones who supplied the lambs for the temple sacrifices for the priests? You ever wonder if they're the ones, why did you use a person? Ain't nobody respecting any shepherds, these dirty, smelly people that are just traveling from one place to another. That was in the mind of them at that point. But angels come and, and, they, and they sing a chorus and they tell the shepherds all about it. And I just sit there and go, oh, man, I just wonder if those shepherds were the ones that were preparing those sacrifices for the temple. And then, of course, you see an angel present during a time of human obedience and worship in the Old Testament tabernacle. It would come and the angels would look down on the, on the mercy seat. And in the New Testament, an angel appears to Zacharias. An angel appears to Mary. And then you have the Spirit of God overshadowing his people. You look at the verbiage that Gabriel chooses to use with Mary in Luke 135. The power of the highest shall overshadow you. And as a result, the holy thing which is born of you is going to be the Son of God. Mary ends up saying, as much as we'd say, whoa, hold it. I got lots of... If, if God appeared to me, I would have more than probably two questions. God's like, Gary, I don't have time for all your questions. God's message wouldn't look like more like this. Gary, just shut up, listen to me. And here we have it once again, the presence of angels, God, humanity. This conversation with Mary takes me back to where the God would overshadow the mercy seat and interact with humanity. And now he overshadows a young virgin named Mary and he interacts once again with humanity. Why? Why? Why does he do this? He's God. And he's, he's incredible, powerful. He created us. But yet he continues to overshadow his humanity with the desire to be in relationship and to lead us. New Testament overshadows humanity with the desire to lead us and redeem us. And the writer of Hebrews clearly says this was always pointing to the Holy Spirit of God. God has always wanted to overshadow his people. He didn't just go through time and go, all right, uh, I didn't see this one coming. We got it. Uh, uh, somebody, hey, emergency meeting with the angelic hosts. Humanity, has, uh, they've done some things I was not anticipating. And so we got we to gotta change the plan. We got we to gotta come up with something that might work. We do this sometimes, right? If you work in management or business, something happens. We just had COVID, right? We all learned to be like, you can't count on anything. You might, you might book a trip, not be able to go. You might have services planned. You might not be able to have them. God's not like that, where he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't see that coming. I got caught off guard. We got to call an emergency meeting. We got to come up with a new plan. God has always had a plan. It's all, he's always had a plan. And the beauty of it is you and I, have always been included in his plan. Always. But his plan, it's a progressive plan to where he says, you know what, I'm going to walk with Adam in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve. And then, you know, sin messed that up. And so we, we, we messed up that original plan. So but he says, you know what, I'm going to form a tabernacle 
so that I can still commune with you and dwell among you and there's gonna be a pillar of fire and there's gonna be a cloud and that's gonna take you up to a point, you know what, I'm actually gonna just take on flesh. So what? I can dwell among you and commune with you and walk among you like I've always wanted to. But you know what? I've got a much greater plan than even just being, staying with you as a human being in one place and walking with you and conversing with you, letting you see signs, wonders, and miracles. You know what? I actually eventually want you to be the one doing the signs, wonders, and miracles. But in order to do signs, wonders, and miracles and things that are unexplainable to natural humanity, you're going to need my Holy Spirit to fill you. And so, you know what? I didn't just want to commune with you in a tabernacle with a pillar of fire and a cloud. No, I'm going to take on flesh. No, I'm actually going to put my spirit inside of you. And guess what? It's still not the end of the story, even if you've been filled with the spirit. This is simply to lead us, because his goal was always to lead us by the spirit, to lead us to a place to where he can restore the original plan that he had with Adam and Eve, where we would not die, where we would live forever, where we would converse and commune with God And now he calls that place heaven. And so right now, we're not at the final chapter yet. But we're we're being led by his spirit when he says, you know what? I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And he tries to tell his followers this when they're walking around because they're loving this. Wow, we've been handpicked. This is incredible. This is God manifest in flesh. This is is amazing. We get to see all these miracles. We get to spend some one-on-one time with Jesus. And he keeps saying, guys, I'm going to need to leave. I'm going to have to go. And they're like, no, 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 no. You ain't going nowhere. No, this is wonderful. No, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to need to go because I still have a plan. No, no. Your plan is great. It needs to be right here with us right now. I know we would never try to argue with God about whether his plan is good or not, but they did. No doubt we've had conversations with God. Hey, I appreciate it. Chad's transparency there when he says, you know, I'm just trying to tell him how this would work really well if he did it my way. And he is definitely not the only person that does this. I've done this many times, and so have you. God, I got a, I got a great plan. Let me tell you how it can work. And then he says, interesting. Now I'm going to do mine. And it's rare that your plan and his plan align. And so he says, guys, guys, let me tell you, I have to go away so that the comforter can come. You got to understand this. He's trying. You read, especially through the book of John, which was probably written last there in the gospels. You're reading this and and he has, John has the, the incredible ability to, to be able to write some things looking backward. And so that's why, too, the oneness of God in John is so clear. Because that revelation was really, really clear by that point. And John's writing this. And he's showing these things. And he's, and he's going, guys, okay, you have to see this. And when you read his conversations with his followers, over and over, he's trying to, guys, okay, see this. You got, no, no, hang on, be patient. No, and he's trying to explain. He's trying to get them to get it. And he says, I have to go away. John 14, 25, he says, these things I've spoken with you, being yet present with you. Yeah, I know, I'm here with you. I get it. But the comforter, he had already referred to the comforter earlier in that chapter. 
And they didn't know maybe what it is. So he says this time a little more clear. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. I love this because we think the Holy Ghost starts in the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But God had a plan. That's why even in the Old Testament, the writer in the New Testament is going, hey, what he set up there is signifying or pointing to the outpouring of the Spirit that we're experiencing today. That's not a me thing. That's a scripture thing. They would refer back to something in the Old Testament and go, this signifies this. And so he says to them, I'm, I'm with you, but the comfort which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father is going to send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring, unto, uh, bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't be so afraid that my plan is not matching up with your plan. Because I have a plan. And my plan is not to leave you alone. He says multiple times, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yea, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He promises these things to them, but they're going, yeah, but my plan looked like this. He goes, I get that, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried. My plan is not your plan, but I do have a plan. And my plan has always included you. And it's always included communing with you and being in a relationship with you and leading you and guiding you because he's telling them, guys, you're getting ready to, hey, let's go to the mountainside. Let's go over here. Let's go talk to the demoniac of Gadara. Let's go over here and talk to the woman with the issue of blood. All right, we're heading out. Let's go through Samaria. And they were just like, okay, cool. And that was being spirit-led to them. Oh, this is God manifests in flesh. We get to have conversations. And he says, go here and we go. He says, let's stop. He says, get 12 bushels and gather up the leftovers from this incredible miracle. And they just kind of did whatever he said. They were being led by his spirit and they loved it that way. But he says, I still want to lead you by my spirit, but I'm not going to be with you always like this. I'm not going to just walk and talk where you can dine with me and, and, and sup with me. I'm going to travel with me and pray with me. No, no, no. I'm still going to lead you. But instead of watching me do miracles, you're going to do the miracles. And instead of you come with me, I'm going to overshadow you and put my spirit inside you. So that where, I, where you go, there I can be also and, and vice versa. And so as Jesus ascends into heaven after his resurrection, he says to his followers, he says, all right, he's been talking to them. You read the book of John over and over and over again, conversations just like this. Don't be worried. Don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not, it's going to be okay. Sometimes you ever have a, a leader in your life and you're getting ready to do something you've never done and you're just freaking out. Your blood pressure, your heart's racing and they have to keep going, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna do okay. Maybe it's a mom, a dad, a pastor, a preacher. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. You're gonna be fine. You're gonna do, you're gonna do great. You're gonna be all right. You're gonna do fine. Jesus kind of starts seeing him do this. It's gonna be all right. It's gonna, you, I'm, I'm telling you, you're gonna be fine. But things are about to change. But they're not going to change to where I'm leaving you. It's just going to be a different manifestation because it's a different part of the plan. Well, this is a new plan. I've never heard of this plan. Actually, 
Isaiah talked about it. Actually, Joel talked about it. Actually, Ezekiel talked about it. Actually, if you want to go as far back, Moses, when people were coming to the camp, said, they're prophesying, we need to stop. And Moses looks and says, I wish everybody would have God's spirit and be able to prophesy. Moses, they don't think, we don't think of him sometimes as a prophet. He was very prophetic. God always had a plan to put his spirit in his people and lead and guide them. And so he says, you wait here in Jerusalem after his resurrection. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. He says in Acts 2, he says, you wait here. And I'm, I'm sorry, Acts 1, he says, you wait here in Jerusalem. And then Acts 2 rolls around and they did just what he said because obedience is key. You never get to walk in God's plan for your life without obedience. And so he says, wait here. So they wait. And the day of Pentecost was fully come, Scripture says, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled, it, it overshadowed the house where they were. God's Spirit once again is overshadowing His people. And it filled the house where they were sitting, and they appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Well, that sounds familiar. There used to be a pillar of fire that sat upon a tabernacle that said when God's Spirit was in that physical dwelling. Now you go to the New Testament, and there's a pillar of fire above a tabernacle that says this is God's physical dwelling. And it says, and, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, how do we know they were? Because something powerful took place. They all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And 120 people, including the apostles and Mary, the mother of Jesus, his own mom needed the Holy Ghost. She was blessed and highly favored, an incredible and powerful and wonderful woman. Scripture never says to pray to her. She's not a deity. She's not an angel. She's not angelic. She's not any type of that. But she's powerful. She's a woman of God. And But God says, you know what? My mom, my physical birth mama's even going to get the Holy Ghost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost as the Spirit of God overshadowed them. But it wasn't just for them alone. Peter gets up, and certainly this is a weird thing for them. There's people gathered. It just happened to be during a time of Passover, which that's interesting in itself. What happens in Passover in the Old Testament? Or Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost? Oh, what do we remember? Oh, we're remembering some things that we did in the Old Testament. This is, this is Old Testament feasts and festivals. And he picks this time because all nations of the earth, the tongues and different kindreds, they were all in the city at that day. Now, I mean, I hear these guys speaking in tongues. They're speaking different languages. What's going on? And Peter stands up with boldness and he says, he does not say this is a new age thing. I know you've never heard about this. He says, this is that. This is not a Pentecostal, United Pentecostal Church, international, organizational thing. The apostle Peter says, I will tell you that this right here, what you're watching happen right here, has already been talked about before. Joel prophesied this way back in the Old Testament. God's plan was always to eventually fill his people with his spirit. But the writer of Hebrews says we didn't have a way into the holiest of holies because it had not yet been made manifest. But now... 
God manifest himself in flesh and he paid the price on Calvary so that this moment that Joel prophesied about can finally take place. And so he stands up. He stands up and says, he preaches a whole message about this and they now feel something because when God is calling and he, there's something that you can't quite explain. You might be sitting here when someone talks about baptism and you've never been baptized and you start to feel a prodding in your heart and you start to feel something stirring in your spirit. You might not even be able to explain it, but that is the almighty God reaching to you and pulling to you. And that's what happened to them. It says they didn't fully understand everything. They started asking questions, but they said, what should we do? We, we feel something. When you're talking, they were uh, 237. Acts 237 says they were pricked in their heart. There was conviction. There was something going on in them that said, I want what you're experiencing. I, I want what you're talking about. I want God to overshadow me. And Peter says very clearly in Acts 238, he says, repent. Step one. Be baptized in the name, not just in some other, oh, in titles, fathers, and the Holy Ghost, sprinkling, water. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And then he says, and guess what? You do that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Just like we just been speaking in tongues, that can happen to you. God has a plan. His overshadowing was now not only for, at this moment, it's for Jewish people, but you're going to move forward into Acts 8, Acts 19, and you're going to start seeing it to where he goes, no, I want to overshadow not just Jews. I want to overshadow Samaritans. I want to overshadow Cornelius. I want to overshadow Gentiles. I want to overshadow, and, 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 and back then, you, you, didn't, you didn't get the, you weren't you weren't well respected as a little child. You weren't even well respected as a woman. But he says, Joel says, in those days, I'm going to pour out my flesh upon your, your maidservants. I'm going to pour out your flesh upon the young and old. I'm going to pour out your, my, my flesh, or my spirit, I'm sorry, upon your flesh. And I'm going to do it for old and young, for men, for women. God always had a plan that he says, one day, I am going to overshadow all of humanity. And it includes, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And so Peter says this. He says, you can have this. And, he, and in verse 39, he says, this is not a promise just for us. It's not even a promise just for you because you happen to be here. I hear people all the time. Yeah, but that, the Holy Ghost outpouring was just for them in Acts chapter 2. That's, that was just him to, to show them that they were the New Testament church. Show me in Scripture where you found that. Because I see him still pouring out his flesh, overshadowing humanity in Acts 8, Acts 19, all throughout the scripture. And so Peter even says at that moment, he says, this isn't just for us. It's not even just for you. It's for your kids, your kids, your children's children. It's, it's for all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God is going to call. And here we are at the end of 2022, and he's still calling people. And I'm about done. Chad told me I needed to preach shorter today. <laughs> you might think speaking in tongues, receiving God's spirit, man, it's just a little weird. It's a little strange. 
And it sounds like you're speaking the gibberish. I don't understand what's saying. And like, how does that work? You know, does God come and just grab my tongue and I just lose control? Like, no, it's spirit. It says you speak in tongues as the spirit gives you the utterance. You still have to open your mouth, put some vocal cords behind it, and you have to, in faith, step out that I'm feeling, I've already repented of my sins. I feel Jesus right now, and I'm going to begin to verbalize whatever it is that I feel him telling me to say. Oh, that still just doesn't make a lot of sense. Show me powerful stories in Scripture that made sense. Yeah, that guy, he stayed faithful for Jesus. They threw him into lions. That guy stayed faithful for Jesus. Those guys got thrown in the fiery furnace. They, they, they went ahead and killed animals and said, let's build a little tabernacle out there, and then a fire was going to move, and the cloud was going to move. Yeah, that makes sense. That happens all the time. And then this is a great one. He's going to go talk to a virgin, and you're going to have a baby. And that baby's going to be God manifest in flesh. Oh, that makes perfect sense. That happens all the time. What God chooses to do doesn't have to make sense to you. I would say when you read Mary and Joseph's story, it's one of faith. But I don't think that they said, you know what, that makes perfect sense. That's a good plan. I love that. No. You know what Mary ends up having to say? I don't think it made a ton of sense to her. But you know what she says? Be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. Here's power. God overshadowed the tabernacle and he wanted to speak to his people, commune with them. God overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant. But when God overshadowed Mary, it wasn't to put the, 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 the God manifested flesh in her stomach, in her belly, in her womb just for her. He said, I'm going to put, I'm, a, I'm overshadowing you right now because I want to do something with humanity. And God, when you read about the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2, Acts 1.8, he says, hey, I'm going to put my Spirit, wait here in Jerusalem. But I'm not giving you my Spirit just for you. I put my Spirit inside you so that you can have the power to be a witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, under most parts of the earth. And guess what? Peter, who's timid, I don't know the man, before Jesus dies, now is filled with the Spirit, standing up with the 11. Men and brethren, these are not drunk as you suppose. What happened to that guy? That was the scaredy cat that was hanging out by the fire when Jesus was on trial. But something different happened because now he had power to stand up and be the witness because he had an experience where, oh, yeah, I used to walk with Jesus, but now I'm filled with him. There's a difference between walking with him and being filled with him. And so Peter stands up and begins to preach. And all of a sudden, they, sure, they might have been martyrs, but they went and they dispersed and churches started getting planted all over Asia Minor, all over the place over the next several years as they planted more churches than we've ever seen in history probably. And it was because they had the power to be a witness after he overshadowed them. In 2022, here we are. You might have never been filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe never have spoken in tongues, spoken in tongues. And you're going, man, this is kind of strange. I'm not quite sure how this all works. God doesn't want to fill you with his spirit just for you. 
He wants to overshadow you because he still wants to do something with humanity. He still wants to put his spirit in you so that you have the power to go out and to be a witness, to be a world changer. What's going to be birthed in you is of the Holy Ghost, but it's not just for you. It's so that God can lead you, but not only lead you to heaven, but lead you to people, lead you to missions, lead you to what he desires for you to do. And so when God chooses to overshadow humanity, it might not make sense to you, but here's why he does it, because he loves you, because you have always been in his plan. You have always been the apple of his eye. He knew you would be here in this service on this day or watching online right here on this December day in 2022. And he wanted this message to be preached on this day to your soul because he wants to overshadow you. He wants to put his spirit inside of you. Certainly no one's going to question your walk and relationship with God. You've been walking with him and you've certainly heard his voice and maybe felt his spirit, his power, his presence. He's maybe even done signs, wonders, and miracles through you, but he's got something more for you. He says, I want to, I don't want you to just walk with me. I want to put myself inside of you and fill you with my spirit. He wants to dwell with us. This is why Jesus speaks up and he says, the spirit will lead you in all things. That's what he tells his followers. I need to go away, but the spirit is going to lead you in all things. Just like the Old Testament tabernacle, God's spirit is going to lead you into all things. Just like 2022, God's Spirit is going to lead you unto all things. Would you stand with me? But in order for this to happen, God does not, God did not come to Mary and say, whether you like it or not, I'm filling you with my Spirit and you're going to have a baby. I hate the graphic display, but God didn't rape Mary. For God to do what God wanted to do and say, I want to put God manifest in flesh in your womb. I want to overshadow you, Mary. But in order for my plan to take place, I need to hear what your response is going to be. Today, God wants to fill you with his spirit. I don't fully understand it. You don't really have to. Mary did not go. You know what? Hmm. Yes, they make sense. I get how this is all going to work. God's going to take on flesh. In his humanity, he's still going to pray. Eventually, he's going to go to the, earth, the cross. He's going to rise again. And then I know one day I'm going to be sitting in an upper room with 120 people in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost. And, and she, she probably didn't get all that. At that moment, she's probably thinking, uh, I'm a virgin and I'm betrothed. I'm engaged to Joseph. If he finds out, he can not only end my engagement, he can actually have me killed. And if my parents don't go ahead and, 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 and take for me and say, oh, no, no, I may have to go and be a, a harlot for the rest of my life in order, if they do let me live, just to find some type of provision. I don't, this, the, all these details are, I, I don't know if they're adding up. There was a lot that certainly had to go through her mind. How am I going to explain this to people? I don't even know that how this is working myself. 
You might be sitting here going, man, that spirit sounds awesome. I want, I'm hungry for God. I want God inside me. I want, I don't know how the prayer language works. How does it work? How's it going to transpire? What happens if I get it? What happens if I don't know? No, no, no. All he needs right now is for some people to go, Lord, what did Mary say? Be it unto me according to your word. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know the details. I don't, but I know this. I love you. I know that you love me. I want your plan for my life. And it sounds like you've always had a plan and you've always wanted to fill me and you've always wanted to lead me by your spirit. So don't let me go one more day without your spirit. Don't let me go one more step without your spirit. Be it unto me according to your word. And so I open up these altars today. And if you're here and you say, you know what? I've never been filled with the Holy Ghost. I've never spoken to I've never had what you're talking about today. You just come and you can come and talk to me, others. And you can say, hey, can you tell me more about this? I want to pray. I want this today. And I will tell you that you will be filled with the Holy Ghost today before you leave this building. God will overshadow you and he will put his spirit within you. If, if you are willing to say, be it unto me according to your word, O oh God.